gotta come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Hi, uh, yes, my name is Carl Anker. I am the Southampton FC reporter for The Athletic. So my job is a football journalist. I work for the new kids on the block, The Athletic UK. And my job now is, I think, 80% of my day-to-day awake life is, is figuring out what's going on with Southampton Football Club, past, present, hopefully future, all the weird esoteric things, both in terms of sports science and what my friends like to call sports humanities with Southampton Football Club. Uh, Could you... Tell us why you agreed to do an interview for us. Um, because you asked me nicely. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yes, yeah. I've done uh, I've done a lot of work from with Calm, um, the mental health charity campaign against living miserably, and uh, it's quite a few of their campaigns revolve around football. As one of my best mates who once said, football is the idea of spending billions and billions and billions of pounds on competitive sport just so you can get a bunch of men who are just finally comfortable enough to hug each other and say I love you yeah um, yeah uh, there is men are quite difficult I don't, I don't want to say men are quite difficult it it can be hard to open up and it can be hard to to express your emotions easily and I think sport or indeed any form of hobby can be a very interesting lockpick to get people to open up about stuff and I think you know, especially in England, traditionally, the men of this country like football, and the men in this country spend time with each other because of football. It's a podcast about men's health and men's mental health, um, and obviously we've mentioned before that men don't really talk too much about anything really other to do with football or what the result was last night. Um, so I was just wondering, do you have any opinion on why that might be? And have you ever had to go and speak to someone about those feelings about those emotions that might have popped up and you weren't able to kind of um, explain them to, to your friends or to family or it's a really big question um, so yes there's this idea that men don't talk which I can agree with to an extent so there is definitely something about the way men codify our conversations and the way we talk to each other that makes it weirder makes our conversations a lot weirder there's a anyone that uses reddit there's a, there was a reddit thread that went out recently um, and it was from a woman who goes what what is it that men what is it that men would like women to understand about male friendships and the top comment from this dude was basically um, I can spend all day with my best friend and I have no idea what he's doing or how he's doing just so I can spend the entire day talking to my friend 
and I was talking about football and films and um, cars and whatnot, but I had no idea what the mental health state is. And I don't, I don't think that's men don't talk. I think men talk about just different things. So last Friday, I went to visit my friend. We went to the pub. We had some pints. We talked about work and we talked about possible summer holidays and whatnot. And I said, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And he said, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's my birthday on Monday. And my brain just screamed, oh, yeah. It's your birthday on Monday. I completely forget it was his birthday on Monday. Right? That's what Facebook exists for. This is it, right? Yes. Um, uh, I completely forgot it was his birthday on Monday and I had that sort of thing where I left the pub and went, wait, what's his middle name? <laughs> and I sort of, what does he do for a living? Yeah, and I, I sort of... How long have you been friends with this person? I've been friends with him for about five years. He's one of my, he's one of my best mates. I, if that boy gets married, I'll be really annoyed if we're not groomsmen. Um, but... And he's one of the better friends I have in talking about feelings. And we do talk about feelings. Yeah. We do go, how are you doing? And we do, if we have bad days at work, we do go, I'm having a really bad day at work. Or we have a big, like, if it's the anniversary of something bad that happened, it's like, I will check up and be like, hey, I know it's the day you maybe lost a family member or whatnot. Or, but, you know, I'd say maybe 45% of our conversation is just caps lock screaming football players' names at each other. <laughs> I wouldn't say men don't talk. I'd say men talk about different things, and sometimes you can, it you can be can be really easy to talk to someone for four hours just about football, where you want to talk about something else. Like right now, I've, we said this before we started, right? But I'm a football journalist, right? I spend sixty hours a week talking about football or watching football, reading about football, and I've just moved to a brand new seat in Southampton. And I haven't got many friends. And if I say, does anyone want to go to the pub? The first couple of people that want to talk to me are football fans. And we go to the pub and they want to talk to me about football. And my brain is just going, please talk to me about something else. Just please, God, talk to me about whatnot. And my thing now is, you know, I have taught myself that if it's talking about football, I will go, lads, can we talk about something else? And I will go, tell me about your girlfriend. Yeah. Which caused a bit of friction recently. We're like, why do you keep asking everyone about their girlfriend? You try and nick them. Like, no, I just, just, just want to talk about something else. And I think it's not that men don't talk. It's just that we've we've been conditioned that there's certain safe areas to talk about, yeah. and there are certain risky areas, right? So um, there are certain members of my family I don't particularly see eye to eye with. So I will only talk to them about football because we talk about politics. It's going to be yeah. Yeah, beef. Yeah. Politics is never the easiest. Right. Yeah, so to go with family. So yeah. we've got that sort of situation. Whereas I've got other mates where I don't know why I didn't ask Jason how his wife is doing. Yeah. I just didn't. And I need to get in the habit of doing that more. And I think that's something we need to do more. Um, to answer your question about um, have I ever spoken to someone? Yes. So uh, I had, I'd say I've had three very big uh probably called mental breakdowns in my life. Uh, uh, one of them was triggered by uh, a really, really unpleasant work situation around like 2016, where uh, by the end of it, I like pretty much shaved my head bald. And by the end of the situation, I was uh, released from my job in November 2016. So lost my job before Christmas. Never the best. Sort of held on until Christmas. Very first day after the Christmas break, marched down to the GP and went, I think I'm really depressed. Finished the um, 
So you get, like, you know, like it's like things called like IABT or whatnot form, mm. where you sort of list, you know, how you know you get all these symptoms and you list how uh, how often or how on often. Yeah, and I get it. Scale has got like little smiley faces. And yeah, faces. yeah. So you, you do that, and uh, I fill that out, and I got a score of twenty nine, and the GP went. If you had scored two more, or basically made a comment, if you had scored two more, we'd have had to make some serious calls and yeah. looked into you getting sectioned. And I went, "Oh, so I'm not doing well at all." <laughs> um, and that was like my first big, big, like, "Oh, I, I, I'm living with a mental health condition." Like a wake I'm, up call. Well, I'm depressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was. Like, well, I think I've been. It wasn't so much like, oh my God, but it sort of retroactively made other things in my life make more sense because I'd been in that state before yeah. at times at university and times, you know, in my late 20s and eight, late 20s, in my late teens and early 20s. And I went, oh, I feel like that again. And if a doctor's going, yeah, that's massively depressed. I'm like, oh, I've been massively depressed before. I just yeah. didn't get help. Um, so that time I... Did it sort of serve to clarify things and feelings from maybe when you were younger that maybe you hadn't acted on that started to make sense a little bit more once you'd had that conversation? I mean, anyone going, you are so depressed, we would, you, you we'd consider getting yeah. trained medical practitioners because you might be a danger to yourself is a bit of a, what? Is that um, kind of like a moment where you should think, oh, oh uh, what? Like, yeah. Wow. A little bit. Yeah. And it was sort of, okay, it was sort of like, I felt like good that like I sorted this out and I went to talk to someone right now and also uh, what happens next and what happened next was I went on a round of antidepressants I went through a series of therapists because ther- finding therapists is very, very hard and we can talk about that later if you want to talk about um, and yeah I sort of I, I wouldn't say like got my life together or whatnot, but just sort of I remember at that point in time when I talked to my friend the friend I just talked to you about, and he said, "How are you doing?" I went, "Mate, I'm just, I can't keep crying." Yeah, uh, I can't keep crying. I'm so sick of crying. I can't, I can't keep feeling the way I want to. I'm feeling, and there's only, there's only a, a couple of options for me to stop feeling this way. And he's basically, you need to talk to a GP, which I'm, I'm glad I did it, and I think that's probably the most positive way I managed to get myself out of feeling that because there were other options and knock on everything every day. I think the almighty if the almighty's out there that I took that option yeah um, and yeah I, um, it was a hard process I wouldn't even say I like got back to my feet or it was an overnight thing or if it, I felt better after a year and it's 2020 right now and while I'd say I haven't felt like I don't want to exist anymore for a long time well for a good chunk of time I would say I do feel those feelings sometimes and then I also realise like through therapy through talking to people through a number of other processes I understand why my brain does that. I understand what things tend to happen in my life for me to get, for my brain to reach that conclusion. And I also now understand that that is a temporary state and what I need to do to get out of that state, which takes practice and discipline. And you need to talk to a lot of people, some of them trained medical professionals, some of them people that you trust that aren't trained medical professionals, but hopefully are just really nice and kind and care about you in that way. And then even then, you can still not have great days. But yeah. that's just part of what life is, unfortunately. I think when, when I haven't been through something similar myself, it's um, it's quite interesting to, to get there, to get to that GP stage. And 
you know, there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with me. And when you eventually go down that ferry, you, you kind of realise that, well, this, this person's in a job because there's quite a lot of people coming here. So it's not that there's something wrong with me. This is actually becoming a little bit more normal. This is just people going, no, I'm actually struggling. And when you find out that other people are, I, for me, when you find out that other people have struggled, it kind of shares that problem. For one, like we, I've said this all the time, we cannot have any conversation about mental health without talking about the NHS and talking about cuts to the NHS and talking about what's currently going on by our government to our mental health services and to all of our health services. So let's really break it down. I lost my job in November and there was a point in November where I was just out of it, shaved my head and there were certain, there were certain things I could not do because I was considering not being around anymore. Mm. And then it took me until January, the very first day of January after the Christmas break before I went, I'm gonna go see a GP. And luckily a GP saw me that day. And I'm at the time I was living in London, the most populous place, the most well-funded place, and I managed to get a GP appointment because I went first thing in the morning, I marched myself down and he thought something right now, mm. and he did. There are people, possibly with this podcast, who don't live in London, don't live in places who are in states just like that or perhaps even worse who have figured out that they need to talk to someone and they've figured out they need to talk to a doctor and they just they just can't right you just can't talk yeah. to a GP and you just can't talk to the mental health particular there are people there are like phone lines like Calm and Samaritans right now who are basically going we are we are more than willing to provide a service here but there, there's a certain point where you're going can't answer every phone call yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm not I don't, I don't want to say can't physically answer every phone call but simply you you can't do everything at some point in time you need to have trained medical practitioners at a point in time where the government is just going it is a real problem um i was probably about the same age as yourself carl when i reached that point i had uh what i think i later realized was a panic attack at my cousin's wedding and on the monday following that weekend went to my own gp had that similar conversation and one of the things that I found was, was that I was sat across from a GP and with all the best will in the world, I felt like you're not the person I should be speaking to. I think it's it's a crapshoot, right? It is, you are just, it's a shotgun and the bullets go yeah. and maybe you lock out and get the GP who understands what's going on. Maybe you get a GP who listens to you and go, hang on, this is unusual and maybe we should make give you the right form to fill out so I can give you the right person to talk to. Maybe you, you luck out and get the right person, you know, if you get NHS counselling, maybe you get the right person for NHS counselling or, or you get, you know, I got the first batch I got, I got a in real life therapist and I didn't get on with them so I went, I'm not going to do this no more. Then I got a phone therapist and I, I, went, I don't like you and I don't want to do this. They tried to get into group therapy and I said, I don't like talking to anyone about this so I don't want to do this. And eventually it took me, eventually it took money, like a large amount of money. Yeah. I got a really good job and they had health insurance and I went, I want to see a therapist and they went, here's a therapist and, gonna, and this is my, and we're going to pay for, for your health insurance. And then when I left that job, my therapist went, this is how much money it costs. And I went, Oh my goodness! Um, uh, but I went. You're the only one who's somehow yeah. managed to like work out this bizarre onion that is my brain. So I'm going to I basically stop going to the pub as much. And went. I need to. Went, if I can cut down from this many pints to this many pints, I'm, I'm talking using my hands. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a podcast. I, can't <laughs> uh, I said, if I can like reduce this many pints and reduce this many cinema trips, I can afford seeing a therapist this often. And I made that change. 
And that's, that takes a large amount of money. It takes a lot, like someone to be in a headspace where you were able to make those sorts of decisions. Yeah. And that, I like luck, 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 luck to get to this weird state. And even then I'm not fine. I'm not okay. I'm still a dumbass. <laughs> um, and it takes like that and it's just I hear a story I think at any point in time now you talk to any friends about you know how oh wow you had these men of struggles and how did you get through it and they're like well there's always a moment of you manage to get yourself in front of the right person and I don't think it's wrong people who think in front of the wrong people I think it's people who are trying their hardest yeah. being unable to do uh, there's this adage of at its very, very best, the NHS, like the NHS should not work. It's like a miracle. It's a bit like the tube system. It's one of these things from a bygone era that was not meant to sustain this many people, but it's just full of really hardworking people mm. who are just trying their hardest going, mate, look, uh, okay, like you're clearly in trouble, so maybe fill out this form and maybe I can help you out. There was something that somebody told me once uh, about the NHS I was at a, a, a medical conference thing in Manchester and they said the NHS is really good at pulling people out of the water and stopping them from drowning but it's not very good at walking upstream and wondering why they keep tripping and falling into the, the river in the first place and I think that's almost just the way that it is I and mean, it, it's very difficult to get out of that cycle mm. uh, you know I think the ship is turning in that we, we are talking about is at a far younger age and this notion of stiff upper lip yeah. is going away. Did you encounter that, like with yourself and with any other people? Stiff upper lip? Yeah, the, the kind of oh, yeah. get I mean, on with it, there are, keep going, keep, keep swimming upstream. Kind there's of different context, well, there's, it comes from a different place as well because I'm a black man. I'm from an African household. My parents are Ghanaian. Um, and... Uh, my dad was the last one I told in my immediate family. So I told my brother, I told my mum, I told my aunt, so my mum's younger sister, who I'm very, very close with, I told my dad last. And when I told him, I'm like, look, I got this, my dad was like, black men don't get depression. <laughs> and <laughs> my brother, and my brother just stared, that like, looked through his soul and just shook his head like, this is not a joke. Yeah. Uh, was when your dad said that was that was was that was that partially not jokey but did he mean that like was he was I, th- I think there's a there's and I'm again this is only autobiographical I'm not going to make any comments about black attitudes to mental health compared yeah. to uh, in a white household or whatnot I'm just we grew up I grew up in a household that was traditional West African Ghanaian my dad was very much if you're not bleeding you don't have to go to the hospital. That's fine. My mum's stance on injuries was very much stop doing silly activities because if you break your arm or hurt your leg, I'm not driving you to Whips Cross Hospital. And that was that. So, uh, and I, I, I grew up mostly indoors because my mum was like, I can't be bothered going to the hospital. And my dad grew up in the 80s as a black man in London. And I was like, I don't need any hassle with the police. Yeah. So I was raised pretty much by my parents and Nintendo. My dad is very much like, if you can see it and you can touch it, he believes it. And if you can't, he's very much okay, it might exist, but he's not overly dismissive. He's like, fine. Um, like VAR. Yeah. He's very funny about that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he kind of joked about the way, but I remember that I remember keenly the way my brother just stared at my dad and just like shooting. So I went, nope, this ain't joking. And he went, oh, okay. And even now, I don't think my dad probably, probably, probably understands 
what goes through my head sometimes when I have these depressive states and whatnot. But he understands that sometimes I ain't feeling fresh. Right. Yeah. And he's like, okay, fine. And I think, and again, is that like his way of understanding it almost? Feeling fresh. Yeah. Um, I th- I, what's really interesting nowadays is we do, we, you know, my dad and I, we're, my dad and I has the, have a relationship where we only really talk about football because we talk about anything else when we have a fight. Um, <laughs> but, but there are a num- there are a number of football players now who have talked about their mental health. And what we have got to a place now is his understanding of mental health has got better through these football players because he, he understands when a football player is having a bad, is having a bad run, of, run of form, right? He, he can understand when a striker is clutching at shots and he's saying feeding themselves and he's screaming and scratching. He's like, ah! And he's like, well, I don't understand what's wrong with him. He was, you know, he's not doing anything worse, but he goes, you know, he's not taking near post positions or he's not, he's not attacking the ball as he used to. He ain't, he ain't feeling crisp. And I'm like, and pointing to myself sometimes, he's like, and he's beginning to put two, two and two together. Yeah. That sometimes... You know, we're not robots and things can go wrong. Obviously, you're a man who works in sport as a journalist, so we wanted to know <clears throat> what it's like in that press box. We want to know the ins and outs and how <laughs> it all works. You want to break on murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, there's me watching football as a football fan. And as a football fan, you know, I think maybe... I got to a point in my life recently where I don't have my weekends ruined by football. The Moy season helped. <laughs> <laughs> I always say the Moy season was like my great adolescence. I'm like, oh, this is what football was like. You're not always going to win games. This is painful. Um, so yeah, it took me it took me a long time in my life to get to a point where I didn't have my day ruined by my football team doing badly. And yeah, anything where you hand over a large amount of your emotional stability onto something else onto factors you can't control is I want to say unwise or unstable but it's a gamble right so if you're the type of person that your day can be ruined or not by a football team or by a musician or by an actor or by someone else that possibly doesn't even know who you are that's risky and maybe find a way to not do that do you think that's sort of as a more overarching thing? Do you I, think I, I don't think that's a mental health situation. I think that's just that's that Carl Anker adult talking to other adult. Going Do you think that's that. healthy though? Kind of men's relationship or anyone's relationship with something that is completely out of your control having such an impact on your emotional well-being. There are, I think. There's pluses and there's you know pluses and drawbacks to everything, right? So you could not tell me to not get carried away with the World Cup in 2018, right? And there was points in that World Cup where I'm not going to get carried away. I'm not going to carry away. I'm not going to believe any of the hype about England. I thought you know everyone went, oh, this is a great World Cup for England because there's no pressure. There was pressure. Let's not pretend. It's coming home was was ironic for a little bit, yeah, and then it stopped being ironic the moment those penalty shootouts went in. Yeah. I remember during those penalty shootouts against Colombia, I didn't watch them. I sat, I was in, I watched in the pub with my friends, and I sat underneath the table, and I was just praying, and I had my head in my hands. I was wearing my Fitbit, and my Fitbit was records my heart rate. My Fitbit said, "Are you on a treadmill?" Because my <laughs> uh, my heart rate was doing like one sixty, one eighty. Because I, I told my friends, I can't do this anymore. I said, I can't watch England in a penalty shootout. It's too, it's bad for me. And then obviously the good thing finally happened and I was the happiest I'd been 
maybe in months. Um, and that sort of that roller coaster is, you know, if they lost that penalty shooter, I would have been devastated. And obviously, after the Croatia game, I sort of disappeared after England lost for like two or three hours and I didn't tweet or anything people were legitimately texting me and saying, <laughs> are you okay because I got swept along we were speaking earlier about that summer of 2018 and that summer Tramway got promoted from the non-league and I would say that I would be fully happy to admit every one of us cried we all cried at the end of that game you were crying at half time weren't you yeah, it, it, was, it, it, was, yeah. it was it was we were emotional wrecks all of us and I think what was so nice about it was that it gave us an opportunity to be within one another's company and our relationship to that club and our relationship to one another are all intrinsically linked. So I suppose in the long-winded way I've gone around the car, what I'm kind of getting at is you're obviously got kind of an emotional connection with football as well. Would you say that's been a, a positive thing in your life? It is a positive, but the way you've described that there, you cried and through football you had that connection with people and I think that's great. I think what I think the drawback is when that is your only connection mm-hmm. and that is your only means to express those feelings. So um, <clears throat> I can't cry that well uh, due to a number of factors. I played a lot of rugby. I've got like a I've damaged one of my eyeballs and whatnot. Okay. Uh, it, it's very physically hard for me to cry. Um, but what I've realised in the last two or three years as part of the therapy and conversation with you is. That like it's really important to cry from like a basic evolutionary standpoint yeah. human beings invented crying because we needed the way to show other people I'm hurting but also in a way in a, you know you need a way to silently show people you're hurting in that when you were cavemen you'd be like I'm hurting but also I don't want to make a noise because there's predators around okay. that's why we cry Science. every day to school <laughs> science it, yeah it's, it's a very like it's a warning system for pain um so that's why we cry. But so I recently, you know, and one of my friends who I think we should talk about this as well is, you know, the efforts. We, we, you know, we are talking about men's mental health, but we also should talk about women in men's lives and the pressures we put upon women to get to states where we can talk about this easier. There are loads of mums and sisters and girlfriends and female friends that are fortunately are unpaid therapists before we eventually sort our stuff out, and we should give them credit. Yeah. thank yeah. you for all putting up with me um, and one of my friends basically got me in a habit around like 2017 and 2018 she just took me to watch teen dramas because they make her cry and she goes I'm going to show you all these emotional films so you get in the habit of crying so it's not just it's not just you watching England getting knocked out that makes you cry <laughs> because crying is really crying is really really important it releases a whole bunch of hormones and it helps your brain like reset itself and yeah. get it to yeah. like an emotional equilibrium it's really healthy to cry often. So now I've got a playlist on YouTube of just things I watch when I need to cry. Because my brain will go, I need to cry. How do I cry? Number one on that list is the England penalty shootout against Colombia. Yeah. The um, montage yeah. with, yeah. with the yeah. national. Yeah. Yeah. So I watch that. And the moment um, Guy Murphy goes, maybe times are changing. Yeah. And it cuts to Brian Robson. I'll start crying. Yeah. And that's my big, I've had a bad day, be at work or at football or whatever, and I need to cry. I'll watch that and I'll cry. And I'm like, Okay, it's fine. It's good. And it's good that you've got a way to cry. And like, it's great that when those big moments of football, you can go to your best mate, I love you. And they'll go, I love you back. And you can hug. If that's your only way, then I'm a bit concerned. Yeah. Right? But I think football has been a really good thing for us in so much as us all go in. We all love Tranmere. 
because we all love football and we all love one another and it gives us that that place to go and feel comfortable with one another and be able to express that emotion. Which is great. My question back to you is when the season ends, do you still hang out in that way? Yeah, we do. Which probably is not good. As, uh, yeah, we do. Probably not as much as Which we is do. Good. Yeah, right. probably. And you're, and you're right, aren't you? And we often talk about this in so much as before we went to the... I'm going on about the playoff again, but the, even before we went to that playoff, in fact, it was the last one, it was the one last summer, um, the Newport game, I was packing the many bags of ale that we were taking onto the bus and my girlfriend Sophie her friend Abby was round and she said oh I wish I wish we had like a thing like that we all did together talking about her and her, her girl with someone have you and I was like what do you mean and she said well, she said you're going to be with all your mates for like 24 hours basically all getting drunk and doing the thing that you love and I was like oh it's brilliant I said but I said you haven't got that and you still see your mates as much as I see mine and like I say, I think we're fairly good at doing it, but the season does end, and it does sometimes feel like you get to August. I haven't seen you since May. Yeah. And I think we've had a bit of an excuse in the last few years because our season's been prolonged, that it's kind of given us an excuse to see each other. But I do think that we should make more of an effort to find ourselves in environments that aren't just football environments. So sort of one of my big New Year's resolutions is uh, I'm just taking my friends out to dinner more this year. We were in the group chat like this year. We're taking the homies out for dinner, um, <laughs> and one of my friends isn't. It, you know, one friend told me that another friend wasn't feeling too great. And I was like, oh, I don't know really what I can do. This, this, this. And I went, when was the last time you saw him face to face? I went, oh, I see. Oh, yeah. You no, know, just try and see your friends more often face to face as well. I'm through my job. I moved from London to Southampton, uh, so I, I don't see nearly all my friends face to face as much as I do. But I am now making effort of just getting in the group chats and interacting and like this is discipline it's really hard it's it takes a while to figure out oh I should when someone goes how are you doing go and how are you doing and going oh I heard you having a bad day at work and then going thanks how is your job going as well yeah and, go, yeah. and how is your girlfriend yeah. and like doing that one because you know I don't want to say it's just like a, a man thing but a lot of these things you don't see do you wonder why football also makes people so angry at this is a huge question that I, I I work on at least every three months because I'm a black football journalist, so therefore there's like a racist incident all the time. I'm like, why is this happening? Um, there is one someone I used to work with, very intelligent comedian called Harry Flowers, once went our entire year without watching football. Didn't watch football, didn't read football, didn't engage with football. He loves he's, a, he's a football fan. He's a football fan, huge football fan. Just didn't engage for it for a whole year. Uh, and then his big thing at the end of it was most people don't like football. Most people don't like the, the again, the tactical stuff, the in-play stuff. He goes, you don't like football, you're addicted to football. Yeah. And said, so the majority of the reason why you, you do football is because it's just the social thing to do. It's the thing you are conditioned to do on a Saturday. And that was, that really changed how I view football and how I write about football as well. Of I can tell you about XG, but also at the end of the day, if Danny Ings chests it down and pings it 30 yards, I'm just going to tell you he pings it from 30 yards. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you can't put emotion in a spreadsheet yet <coughs> and I think and it's that thing of when you know when you understand a lot of people go and watch football not for the idea of football because it's something you do on a Saturday with your mates and it's the idea of you're putting your emotional stability or your emotional well-being in the hands of 11 to 18 to 20 people to, to look after on a Saturday if that thing goes slightly awry you go whoa 
and you get that strong emotions yeah. like, that can be anger that can be manifest um, and you do get you know and then you know then there's wider conversations about tribalism and uh, you know racism and all the sort of things you hear about there and just sort of other things or other forms of masculinity that will be brought up in another podcast but I think on the whole handing over your emotional well-being to a large group of people on a regular basis if that's your only means of emotional well-being is not recommended from me. Um, yeah, and there is this one-up, there is constant one-ups and shit about what's a true support and what's this and it's ultimately just very convoluted dick swinging that I don't particularly <laughs> yeah. find interesting. One thing I will particularly annoys me and I think we're, we're slowly beginning to realise this is a particularly bad thing we do is when we mock football teams having empty stadiums. Mm. and you see this happening a lot about Manchester City right yeah. now of just you've got all this money you can't fill your stadium and you're like we're in the middle of austerity yeah. and it's in Manchester people got jobs and football tickets are expensive and you are laughing at the fans for not yeah. there rather than being annoyed at other factors that like do you think that's a do you think that that thing is is a is a masculinity problem it's like a, this is what defines me as a bloke being a proper football fan, which makes me a better bloke than you. I don't think it's like an unique. Insecurity. I don't think it's unique to masculinity. Um, I've been in plenty of fandom groups where people will constantly test your ability and knowledge to retain stuff. A lot of these are male dominated, so I'm a massive comic book nerd. And I did have that phase where if I saw a girl wearing a comic book thing, I'm like, oh, you don't even read the comics. Yeah. Which again, I had to have that knocked out of me. Uh, and like similar if I went to certain gigs and if I saw people wearing t-shirts you know why are you wearing a Ramones t-shirt name me three Ramones songs yeah. that thing yeah. I couldn't name you any yeah. Uh, yeah but it's that thing of if you grow up loving a certain thing and this, this took me years to get my head around if you grow up loving a certain thing more people loving it is a good thing yeah, yeah. and anyone being mad that someone is enjoying something that they also enjoy you should really like physically stop your knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. Go, Why does this make you angry? But I wonder if that's a reaction to people having an issue with their own self-esteem and having to attach something that's tangible, they understand, that defines them because they're not happy about themselves. So they make the thing that, of, because I like this thing that nobody else likes, that makes me special. And then it's, it's like when people go, oh, I was listening to the Arctic Monkeys before they were fake. Like that type of thing. It's, it's a little bit like that. And I don't want to say it is that because, you know, I, again, it's that sort of argument of if you got bullied at school for being a bit nerdy, what does the, te- the teacher eventually goes, then they're bullying you because you're special. Yeah. And which is really dangerous if you stop doing that. And you get to that state of, this is mine. I like this thing and this is mine and you hold it really close to you and if someone else wants it you get really scared because they won't love it in the same way you do and you also get really scared that they might change it. Yeah. So the conversation we're having about VAR right now Yeah. the conversations we're having about uh, more equal representation in football both on the pitch and in the boardroom Yeah. the conversations we're having about other laws in the game the conversations we're having about women's football we're seeing certain crowds yeah. going this isn't football this isn't the way I like football this isn't the way I grew yeah. up loving football how dare you change football and they have very, very bad reactions. Whereas what you should be doing is be like, oh, you want to share? Let's share, which is takes time. And it takes people wanting want to be a state of wanting to share this thing. And sometimes it takes, well, in my case, 
it took my mum slapping me across the back of the head and going, show your thing. Yeah. <laughs> Stop being a dickhead. <laughs> uh, just something I wanted to pick up, I know it was going a little bit while back. Um, obviously you said every three months or so you have to come out and do a piece on the fact that our society has done some disgusting behaviour at football matches again. Um, do you, have you begun to hate that? Have you just, like have you have you started to get annoyed by getting every few months this is coming up again? Is anyone kind of um, listening? It, it changes a lot. So sometimes, so I can watch. So when the racism event happened in Montenegro, right? So I was watching. It was Wednesday night, Tuesday night. It was a midweek game. Yeah, England was. versus Montenegro, and I heard. I was watching on. I was watching on the sofa, and I heard the booing, and I went. Oh, uh, I went, well, this is annoying. And then this is my first season as a football journalist. And my phone buzzed up. I went, oh, no. I went, oh God, this is my job now? Hmm. Uh, oh, God, I have, to, I have to do something here. Uh, and I've got an excellent boss and a really, really good team around me right now to when they are really honest to me and going, Carl, this is your job and you might have to do this. You're also able to go, I don't want to do this because okay. I don't want to have to do this. And that's really good. And I've now... Luckily, in recent years, been able to talk to people and bosses and vocalise when I don't want to do this. I also vocalise when I don't, when I think, eh, let's not do this as well. But in two thousand seventeen, I went to I chaired a talk about Black for Black History Month at Leicester University, and uh, I was surrounded by some black academics. And one of them there said, "I know my kids will never live to see the end of white supremacy," and it really hit me and I remember being six years of age and my and this is you know mid 90s Stephen Lawrence inquiry was still going on television and uh, I was very very young and Stephen Lawrence's face is on television all the time at this time and I went mom why is this person's always on the TV what's going on and she very much sat me down I went this is what racism is some people aren't going to like you because you're skin colour. I went, that's really dumb. And she was, that's life. Your job obviously requires you to work outside of a sort of normal Monday to Friday, nine to five. How do you kind of deal with like a work-life balance? It's a hard industry, this being football journalism. And I'm obviously saying this, I'm not sure how many football journalists will be reading, listening to this. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm just talking to a very specific 12 people. But I think everyone... I think everyone gets into states at work where you want to do really, really well at work and then you can sometimes burn up. And I think, you know, there, there's plenty of articles about millennial burnout and people who are, you know, you get to work at nine and you're not leaving till eight and then you go home and you're taking work with you because you, you want to get up the next rung of the corporate ladder and then things don't work, can't work out and then before you know it, you're having dreams about work, you're grinding your teeth in your sleep. It's, it's not working out and you, f- you feel unfulfilled and unhappy and that's like the good version of that the less good version of that is when you start feeling depressive thoughts and whatnot and again I'll talk only autobiographically so I was in a very very bad job situation in 2016 that started off really well so I was unemployed for about 7 months got this job promised my boss I was going to give him everything I had and I did I I was if I had a late shift, I'd still come to the office. 
there were two instances where I slept in the office so I could do a late shift and then do an early shift of which I found that after the fact that was illegal because the work hours between late shifts and early shifts the gap was too short so I was doing things like that um, I was doing work on my days off I wasn't really getting weekends I, like I said there was a point in time where I basically couldn't handle how much I was doing and I just sort of shaved my head and I wasn't really sh sharing this information with people but sort of just doing bad stiff upper lip stuff so drinking a lot being quite annoyed oh, you know the old masculine stereotype of punching walls um, so there's a cracking one in my old bedroom walls where I punched it when I was annoyed at something um, whereas what I should have been doing is talking to people and, and setting boundaries and going no actually no boss I'm not going to do that shift or I've worked that late shift maybe I'm not going to do an early morning shift or not going to the office where things like that happen um, and that's taken a while for me to understand and I think we are now hopefully getting better as a people and as a workforce at explaining stuff you don't like and stuff that you realize you're entering areas that aren't beneficial. Um, I'm speaking from a place of enormous privilege. Uh, I've got a really good boss right now uh, to the point where I am taken aback by how sound my boss is. Is that kind of hard to learn because I suppose when people look at you going, so I, for instance, I'll take my, I, my job doesn't really go home. Um, so you finish at five and I don't really tend to try my hardest to stress about that job. I'll have a 20 minute little rant to my girlfriend in a car. I get seen as like laid back and, and, and calm and I, what I kind of think they're trying to say is, are you a bit lazy? Is that, is that, is that kind of like what you're trying to fight when you, when you're trying to, Yes, those and like it, it's 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 my first year in a job, and I want to impress, and I want to give people around me who I've you know in my head I'm like all these people have invested a lot in you, and you want to you want to I want to repay that investment plus something. Whereas what years of therapy and talking to these people who I have imagined this investment in have said is you've already repaid this and then some. Chill out, yeah. like you, and also you're not a robot. You're allowed to rest and. I think, again, I'm only speaking for myself. It, I have that problem where I can understand problems in other people, but just will not pay attention to myself. So, uh, Wayne Rooney ran himself into the ground because he played through injury and played way too many games of football and should have just chilled out and maybe not played as many tournaments. Here I am, working from 11 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night. What the hell? Come on, uh, I, I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, why is Alexis Sanchez bad? Alexis Sanchez didn't become bad overnight because he played in back-to-back -back Copa Americas and he went to and he played a ridiculous style of football for Arsenal. So it's no wonder he was knackered by the time he went to Manchester United. Hi, I'm Karl Anka. I work eight days in a row and I only sleep like five hours a night. Stop it! Yeah, it's and it's that sort of talking to other people around you. You need to get. You need to really, really talks. And uh, so there is. There's this idea I always talk about, about the imagined boss mm. and like the, the imagined shadowy boss who isn't your boss. So I, I always think about how it took me so long to tell my first ever boss that, like, hey, I've got mental health conditions because the conversations I would have with my imagined boss in my brain, that boss was like, you're terrible, I'm going to fire you. And then I finally did have a conversation with my boss anyway. Oh, okay, well, well, you know, it's not the best, but let me know how this works. And if, if you're not feeling great, please be honest with you. And I said, what? And in my brain, I'm like, why did I not have this conversation with you, the real boss, yeah. instead of the imaginary one? And that's, you know, part of living with 
mental health conditions and having these depressive spells is that your brain plays tricks on you. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can't. It can be very, very hard to see the forest for the trees. But a lot of the time now is me after the last three or four years of going through this. It's just being able to tell myself, wait, are you sure this will happen? Or have you decided this will happen and now you're not even yeah. going to try? And it's, if I need a day off, ask for the day off rather than just sitting in your hands and then just quietly yeah. moping. Or if I need, if I need, if I need to book a holiday, and I'm so bad at booking holidays because I've got, this conversation, I've got like a very weird, crappy masculine sense of if you take holidays, you're somehow weaker. Yeah, because uh, you need to be at work and you need to be constantly proving yourself. So I can I can only really go on it for five days because then I, then I just get like, my anxiety just spikes. Because okay. I'm oh no I have to be working because I'm not working I'm like losing pace with everyone else. Whereas what I should be doing is I work really hard for this I should enjoy myself. Yeah, and that's something I need to like get better. Um, so I I want I really want to write a novel, and I've got this notion in my head I want to finish this novel by the age of thirty. And my friend recently said, "What happens if you finish this book?" at the age of 31. I said, I don't know. Doesn't seem like a bad thing then. I went, I'll just pull it. I guess so. Then write the book when you need to write the book. You don't have to put these deadlines yeah. ahead of yourself. It's going to be fine. There's a lot of this um, comparison and contrasting uh, theme that's kind of all over um, social media really that's where the big hotbed of this lies um, so much so that I was flicking through Twitter the other day and there was a comparison between Leighton Baines and Ashley Cole amazing which was ludicrous like, yeah yeah. yeah I, I couldn't work it out apparently Leighton Baines is, is better because he stayed in the Premier League longer but I don't really understand why okay <laughs> <laughs> um, so but there's a constant need to try and go was is with the Liverpool and United teams of 99 would Jordan Henderson get in that midfield? Okay. Do you feel that kind of ruins football? Becomes a little bit too much? Becomes a little bit... Uh, and again, I don't want to say social media, as in... Because social media is not this like blanket evil or, or some sort of great infection. I've worked at some of these social media companies and I believe social media can be a force for good. I believe it can be a force for great evil. Um... Uh, the way I describe it is social media basically gave everyone a hammer okay. and some people were using it to build stuff and make nice tools and some people were using it to like clobber other people overhead um, how you choose to use your hammer is ultimately up to you also some people should probably not be given hammers in the first place I like that I like yeah. that a lot that yeah. is good um, and I, look I've, I've got I'm in the career I am because of social media I, I've got many of my best friends that because of social media raise eyebrows because of social media as well <laughs> um, and it's it's just sort of don't get in a position where you're just trying to make some if you're in a position where you're trying to make someone's day worse because that's the only way it makes your day better what for? So what has changed is as you get more followers on Twitter and this is a weird way to think like you get to like a thousand and you realize okay so I've got a thousand and that's people with my tweets. Once you get past 10,000, Twitter changes once you get past 10,000 followers because then you get to a state, a state where basically if you tweet good morning, someone will most likely tweet good morning back to you. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I try and make sure I'm, the stuff I'm putting out into the world is on the whole more positive. I still tweet way too much inane nonsense. 
It does. It does come across positive. By the way, I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed you. having followed you for the last like week or two. I, I've I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah. I try not to tweet too much about things that, that I hate because I think it's just giving fuel to people that sometimes thrive off hate. So I've blocked a number of shock jocks, and I tell my friends not to engage with things they hate. Um, I try and talk a lot of things that I really really like. I try and spotlight smaller things that I really really like. I you know if there's job opportunities going especially in my field I'm always going to try and retweet those um, my DM is always open for people that want advice and career stuff and whatnot. Um, and I, I think Twitter's a force for good so I'm going to try and use it for good I am still going to get these jokes off I suppose one of the things that, that we wanted to speak to you about was as you said now you're up to 20, 22,000 people on Twitter so have you kind of had a different experience of dealing with kind of Feedback, feedback and criticism now that your profile is slightly higher than it used to be? Yeah. So, I'd say about a year ago, maybe a year ago to six months ago, uh, I just started getting a lot more people saying I'm annoying. Just like, shut up, go away, why are you here? Um, so I, I do a Totally Football Show podcast and some people don't like it when I'm on a Totally Football Show podcast. Some people are like, oh God, not him again. Um, and some people vocalise that very, very clearly to the point where if the subsequent episode doesn't have me on, they'll go, thank God at Anchorman 616 <laughs> isn't on the Holy Football Show. To, you know, I remember once you know, I was on the sofa with, with one of my friends and, and they'd see me look at this and I was about to tell this person, you don't have to tweet me saying you don't like me. Yeah. You don't have to be that person. And I went, just leave it alone because they could see me getting wound up. I went, this is... Because that's the next hour, two hours of yeah. day gone. And you're giving that person oxygen yeah. as well. Uh, and uh, and I went, oh, it just really bugged me. And I did two or three, I had two or three things where I was, so I was on Totally Football Show, I was on the BBC, and I had a little bit where I was national. And I was really, really proud of these things. And I just people were going, you're awful, you're terrible. And uh, it really got to me. And I talked to these things about my therapist and whatnot. Um, what's going on? Should I quit? Should I not do these things? And it, it took a, slightly older football journalist to go you're doing the right thing it's just what's happened is you've crossed over to that threshold where sort of if you're doing anything on Twitter there's a small percentage of people that follow you and dislike you and then as you get bigger that percentage yeah. will stay the same but also it just gets bigger Yeah. and as and a, you're still one person I'm still one person one but person. sort of when you have 200 followers maybe two people hate you of that percentage like that 1% hates you and then that 1% just got bigger and bigger as I yeah. got closer to 20,000 and that's how I'm thinking of it now of just there is a percentage of people that just don't like me and that's that's fine it's not fine I'm really really self-conscious about it and it hurts all the time like please be nice to me but also I just gotta get on with it and uh, I've got a just sort of accept it as a, a natural byproduct of what you do to a degree obviously there is there is good, honest feedback and there is people that just don't like me. So I like writing about XG. And if someone comes up to me and it's like, Carl, please stop writing about XG. And it is very much like, you've written about XG three or four times. Could you please give me something else? I'll go, you know what? Fair enough. Let me get on the phone calls and start talking to a coach. That's a that's how I'd like to be addressed. Yeah. When a stranger goes, fuck off with your spreadsheets. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. I'm going, so then you're like... And then so you is that even... even I suppose even now, like you're 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 obviously not been a journalist for like twenty, thirty years or something. You're still, you would say, still in your relative infancy in your 
current current role, does it affect you as much now as it did maybe six, nine months ago? Have you found a way of dealing with it that, that, that allows you to it not to affect you as much, or does it still... Yes and no. Um, obviously, as, as we listen to this, I, I live several miles away from my friend group. So I, I live in Southampton, I live in London. Neither of my friends, my family are in London. So I do sometimes go, man, I'll equip all my friends and stuff for this. And then also, you, know, you catch yourself and you go, why? Hang on, remember what you're doing this for. Remember, you've got loads of people around you that really enjoy and appreciate you. One thing I'll say to everyone listening to this podcast, I'll say to everyone in any sort of working profession, is uh, if you have a job that requires you to use a computer, set up a folder on your computer and just title it compliments. And anytime you get a compliment via email or via any sort of written compliment, just screenshot it, stick it in the compliments folder. So anytime imposter syndrome comes up or you think you're crap at your job or you should quit and you're feeling like you're not good at this and you're not worth it, just go through the compliments folder and just read it. And then just, you know, you just go, hang on, two, three weeks ago, my boss said that was great. Two, three weeks ago, my friend said that was good. So-and-so, this person, this client said that was good. And just have that on deck, always, in whatever job you do. Just have a place where you have, on record, people calling you good at something. So when you do get in these states, well, I don't know why I'm doing this. You can check it. Um, have have that work friend where you can just vent. Um, and also, like when you're talking to your friends, get really good at saying, Hi, I'm about to vent at you. <laughs> knowing how you feel when there is something sat in your chest and knowing how to get that off is really really important and sometimes it is venting sometimes sometimes it's going for a run sometimes it is just going to the pub and having a yeah. beer if you yeah. drink sometimes it's going to play video games like you need there's catch and releases to everything okay so Carl if you can imagine yourself talking to your younger probably as handsome self <laughs> um, what would you kind of advise that younger self? I think the one, the phrase I use quite often is the ship is stronger than the storm. Okay. Like you go through choppy waters, but um, the ship is stronger than the storm. And also you've got to look for, out for the lighthouses and the anchors out there, pun intended. It was like your friends just trying to help steer you the way. Um, it can be really, really, really hard. When you really, you get in these states where you think you're absolutely alone and you're worthless and no one really cares and if you just disappeared nothing would happen but it's very hard to go through this life alone it's very hard to go through this life without having meaningful impact on at least three or four people and that's maybe one of them is just your parents you've got other people that, like, there are always going to be people who who like you and, and, and need you and I think I, I, I tweet about this a lot about how my like general piece of advice is to try and get to a place in your life where you have four hobbies uh, one you can do by yourself one that forces you to go outside one that forces you to meet people from different walks of life uh, and then just one bonus drinking is not a hobby <laughs> neither is having sex try and find as many things as possible and as many groups as possible where if you didn't turn up someone would message you and why don't you turn up? Yeah. And not in like a, why don't you turn up? But also, a, are you okay? So selfish isn't the word, but it's so, it's such a good grounding experience. But, oh, I exist in the world. People, I don't want to say rely on me. People 
need me. Yeah. And people miss you when you're not there. People miss you and people like you. And, and like you said about assumptions, it can be in those bad states, it can be so easy to assume everyone hates you and you have that sort of nightmare where all your friends are talking behind your back or you imagine there's like a WhatsApp where it's just every it's the same group chat but it's just without you and they're all calling you <laughs> yeah. they're all calling you a dickhead and you I, always imagine when someone hasn't responded it's because they're in the other chat yeah, yeah. and you and you've got those fears and like getting getting into a point in life where you have that and you have good people in your life that do this so um yeah for, uh, for a lot of people it's the football yeah, a lot of people is their football you know you go and watch a team on a football on a Saturday and if you don't turn up to the pub at one o'clock and was like where are you so that's good find another one and find another one, and then find one more, and then find ones that mean you're not just talking to other blokes, but also you're talking to women as well. Find one that makes you talk to someone of a different religion, creed, or, or background, or like different class as well, because then it just opens up pathways and different ways of the world. And that was something I like. I'm getting better at doing. And like the compliments folder was something that got told to me recently. Uh, and one thing, when I was unemployed and I say this to all my mates who if they go through moments of unemployment or anyone who graduates recently when you're unemployed just make sure you wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning yeah right just yeah. tiny things like that because if you're if you're on the job search if you wake up at 10 that means you're sending emails at 12 rather than waking up at 1 and sending emails at 4 so you're kind of on the same calendar as everyone yeah, else yeah. Uh, and like read as much as possible read widely read stuff you like read stuff you don't like and also think about why do I not like this stuff and also think, why do I, why do I like this stuff? Um, like, you've got a mobile phone, you've got a smartphone. These things are more powerful than machines that put Mal on the Moon and made Jurassic Park. And it's got access, <laughs> it's got access to YouTube, so you can use these things to learn so much about like languages and, and like getting a hobby where you make stuff with your hands can be really nice. So I like to cook. Some people get really into sewing. I, I mess around with yarn. These aren't magical silver bullets for when you're feeling depressed or going through mental health conditions. And like I said at the start, any conversation that talks about mental health that doesn't talk about government funding on the NHS is incomplete. So also, I am going to tell you, like, start being effing angry at the government right now and start seeing what you can do at a grassroots level to help mobilise people and help people. Once you start doing that stuff, it feels addictive and then you start to feel better about yourself. And I'm really, and this sounds awful, sometimes it's okay to feel good that you did a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You can run, you can hide, you can hide, you can hide, you can run, you can hide, you can run.